Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey Griefters, hope you are doing okay this week. Thank you for joining us and Bulladar to all our new listeners as well. Thank you for joining us. Um, welcome, Cloiso e Griefcast. Not sure that's how you'd officially say it, but yeah, that, it's working for now. If you have been enjoying the show, please do rate and review us on iTunes and please do subscribe as well, wherever you get your podcast from. Um, thank you so much if you've left a comment already. It really means so much to know the show is helping in any way at all and is genuinely appreciated and if you haven't left a little comment or five-star review feel feel free to go for it and i'll give you a biscuit in my mind this week's guest is stand-up and writer robin ince robin has been performing stand-up for many years he also hosts the infinite monkey cage with brian cox on radio 4 the book shambles podcast with josie long and the vitriola podcast with michael Legg as well Robin came in to talk to me about his mum, who died two and a half years ago. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with comedian and writer Robin Ince. Hi, Robin. Hello. We've been talking loads about films. Are you a big film buff? I've just realised all we've done since we've been waiting is talk about films. Yeah, I used to. I mean, one of the things that I loved about when I was a touring stand-up and I didn't have anything else to do was that every town oh, you'd get to, you cinema. would go, oh, what's on at the Electric in Birmingham, yeah. which is one of my favourites, actually, the Electric in Birmingham. Oh. And the only adult film that I've seen this this year, uh, by adult film, obviously, we know <laughs> yeah. what that means nowadays, because we also talk about the fact that once you have children, you go, well, yeah. I'm very much up to date on the Paddington and Star Wars franchises. <laughs> but uh, I, I saw Ghost Stories, the Jeremy Dyson and... Oh, uh, yeah. um, was uh, that scary? Film. Because I'm a massive wuss. Yeah, so if a you're bit... a massive wuss, it's yeah. it's very. You can see the fact that they've really, you know, these are two guys who adore horror. I and love it, don't they? Andy and, and Reese, uh, not Reese, sorry, um, uh, Andy and Jeremy are and Reese as well. I mean, yeah. he's not involved in this one, but Reese is brilliant as well. But <laughs> um, yeah, they they just all of the tricks and all of those those ways of using little things flickering in the background, oh, the rattle of chains. And it's very dark. Is anyone there? Who's there? You know, all of that stuff. But yeah, I absolutely adore. Uh, um, I mean, I, I used to just watch film, and I still do. I mean, there's certain filmmakers that I'm particularly drawn. I mean, now, now that I'm old, obviously, it was like, like, how did I spend New Year's Day? I asked my wife if I was allowed to have uh, a day out on New Year's Day, and she said yes. And I went to the National Film Theatre to watch a triple bill of Ingmar Bergman films, wow. uh, all of which were about the people not being able to find God in the world. Um, so, who are we remembering today? Well, I thought I could talk a little bit about uh, my mother died just over two years ago, oh, well, two so, and a half years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's quite quite recently. Yeah, and it was a. It, I mean, part of the thing that I found when I started because I've, I've been writing this kind of book about comedians' minds, and the idea is that in in the book. I, I don't think comedians are, are, you know, very often you see these documentaries going, but what made these people so sad and special <laughs> and so not like you? And I wanted, it was kind of based around when Robin Williams died. Mm. I was uh, I was doing a show with Eddie Peppertone and it was a show uh, where they were making money for the charity Mind and it was where comedians would go up and talk about their own personal experiences wow. of mental health and stuff like that or just do a stand-up routine. And... 
I said to the guy who was running it, I said, why don't we also, I said, Eddie and me, we, we could have a little conversation afterwards about, uh, about our own experience of what yeah. we've got out of stand-up. So in the interval, before we went and talked about what you get out of stand-up in terms of mental health and stuff, uh, everyone turned on their phones and everyone went, what? oh, and saw that Robin Williams had, oh, had killed himself. Wow. And so then we went back in and Eddie had actually, oh, Eddie is a quite remarkable and, and, and brilliant comedian the uh the bitter buddha is a film all about him and it's a magnificent documentary and um sorry so the, oh God, i'm giving you such a long answer anyway so i <laughs> wanted to what worried me sometimes is when i would read about someone like robin williams people try make it as if it's some kind of clown syndrome yeah and i think what what we have you know both of us and many people that we know is we do actually have a chance to express ourselves on stage mm. and sometimes express thoughts which in general conversation you couldn't so i started working yeah. on this book looking at how expression of ideas of social anxiety how we use our imagination how we use inner voices because you know some people get the inner voices can be very intrusive and I talked to Nina Conti about mm. how she uses her inner voice and the first chapter was about why we become who we become and how true is it you know very often people will say there is a flashbulb memory maybe for certain people there is an incident in our childhood very often it may well be loss mm. uh, it, a loss adoption that 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 seems quite prevalent in in standard but again I wanted to broaden it out to to yeah. say that please don't look at this as being a special thing this is a thing that human beings working out why we've become who yeah, we have just a choice, isn't it, of what, how you're, how to look at the world, I suppose, sometimes. A lot of, well, not a choice, it's lots of things, isn't it? I always think it's like personality, circumstance, culture, all of those mm. things slotting in and you're going, oh, maybe I could make a living out being funny. But yeah, so your mum died when you started writing the book? No, yeah, uh, no. It, uh, well, I'd already started working on it right. and then she died. Um, but the thing was, because this is what I kind of find interesting about, um, was... When I was three, she nearly died as well. Wow. So just before I was three years old, I was in a car accident with my mum. Oh, my God. And it was, and one of my sisters was in the car as well, both sitting in the back. And uh, it was not my mum's fault. It was a car speeding on the other side of the road. And it was quite a horrific collision. Wow. And... I, she, it's that one of the, you know, that weird thing where I know that, of course, our memories constantly change. Yeah, they still seem yeah. real. But in my head, I always remember uh, my sister um, got her head cut open, but I was, I was okay. And I remember saying to my sister, uh, why is mummy's eyes closed? And she just sat there very still. Oh, God. And my dad, fortunately, was in the car behind. And it was thanks to him that she lived because the ambulance were going to take her to the local hospital. Yeah. And he said, you have to take her to uh, the major hospital. You have to. You have to. The injuries are that, are that bad. Yeah. And uh, so they did. He was He's a very fortunate, very bolshy man. <laughs> and, and now, certainly in years to come, doctors said, yes, she wouldn't have lived otherwise. And the thing that always... And this is... Uh, what I've in working on the book, what I found, you know, when it can be years later, you know, I'm 49 years old now, that things slot into place. It takes a long yes, time. You need the hindsight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's such an odd thing that I, my sister's main memory, because we've never really talk, talk, talked about it. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't hidden because yeah. it was something that then actually played a part in the rest of my mum's life because it was quite a bad accident there was damage yeah. there and uh, my sister's strongest memory was the policeman saying um where are your shoes because the force of the impact was so great that her shoes had flown off god but for me the thing that was is very strong is i was looking for my toy gun behind the passenger seat little uh little black 
machine gun with a hand crank at the side. And I was looking for that. And so I thought it was my fault. And now wow. it makes a lot of sense of the human being, you know, that this moment, this yeah. moment of being, you know the way it is with a toddler or a three or yeah, four-year-old, yeah. that you very often think you, you're the cause when you're not. Mm. Yeah, because you don't, I guess you don't understand what, ha- you just don't understand what happened, but you know something happened. So you have the ability to register, all the adults have changed, something, they're all upset, but you don't know what your role was in reference to it, I guess. So I think it's human nature to make a, a pattern, isn't it? To go, well, I looked for the gun, therefore yeah. that's when it happened. So I'm somehow involved with this, rather than going, no, like you were actually powerless. I think that's probably a bit scarier, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's when when you're totally you you can you connect those those yeah. things, and I and I now look back and think all of the different ideas of kind of hypervigilance. Well, but my mum was in a coma for quite a while and stuff as oh. well, so there was a period of time where how long was she in a coma for? It would have been it was over a month. It was that's uh, really um, massive incident. Was she okay afterwards? Well, she was very she was very ill. I mean, yeah. by the time she came home, she was uh, she had. Metal frame around it. She, wow. she, there was, there was uh, neurological damage and, and all manner of things Gosh. like that. So, did you feel like it was a bit present then? That kind of death had got a bit close to you. Well, that's a hard thing. This is the thing where that that moment is so clear. Yeah. In my yeah. head, and again, as I said, I, I know that memory constantly changes, and who knows what I've rewritten over time. But then things are a little bit more blurry, and because I have two older sisters mm. and of course that was a very big difference as well was you know when your brain is changing as fast as it is in childhood for my sister who was seven and my sister who was ten yeah, so their different. experiences are, are are very different like like, like my, my my eldest sister you know she wasn't in the car so she remembers just being at home waiting for us to get back she'd been dropped off by some friends yeah. waiting to see alvin stardust on top of the pops or whatever <laughs> you know that was a, and just before top of the pop started a policeman came to the door oh wow so there's um so then there was there was definitely something hung over from that point yeah yeah things changed and yeah. I, and i think now again over time you start to realize how important certain how you know that for for me my knowledge of what the family was like beforehand Mm. is very limited yeah so I have never quite known how great the change would have been when when someone has faced and you know my, yeah. and my dad who who uh, always stuck by her and you know and all of those things and I think those also were important things for me to learn you know to watch when things can be very difficult when someone has been involved in yeah. in, in in a bad accident and has returned and and can see changes in themselves. Those God, people yeah. who are adults who are able to stick by them, I think that's, you know, that it, it's been something that I probably haven't always kept to, you know, but it's something that you go... Oh, it's very difficult. So there was a significant change in your mum after that accident? Well, that's what I, you know, I... I suppose, yeah, you of don't, course, you I don't, don't, know, I don't really... Yeah. No, but it was interesting that when she died, um, I did the eulogy... Because that's the uh, as I don't know if you have that thing that when uh, yeah you're in showbiz the yes. one thing you can do is you yep. you you cannot put up shelves but you yep. will do the performance at the funeral. Uh, yeah, I get asked. We talked about this before. I read poems at funerals. That's my regular thing. Oh yeah, Carrie will read a poem, and you're like, oh god, okay, I'll try. But yeah, so you did the eulogy. It's really hard. There was because yeah. first I, I did one for my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law sadly uh, uh, died when all of my nieces were were still teenagers, and oh. and it was a really it's a weird, I don't know. If you this is the bit I tried to talk about this in stand-up and you know when sometimes you think this is too freaky for people 
But my my brother-in-law's funeral was packed. The church was absolutely mm. packed. And, you know, chance for me as an atheist to get in a pulpit. Yeah. And uh, the vicar had just found out what I did for a living and was kind of worried that I was going to start swearing and shouting about Nietzsche. And, um, anything but Nietzsche. Okay. Yeah. yeah anything, don't, don't be rude about the stained glass windows. And uh, he, um, and yeah, and, and I, I worked out this. And my sister had said, make sure it's a fun yeah, because yeah, my, yeah. my, my, my brother-in-law had a, a great sense of humour. And uh, he said, you know, don't do, do, talk about funny things about Paul. And and, uh, and this was the old bit, though. So I did the eulogy, and it went very well. Yeah. And what I then had in my head was the performer side of me <laughs> yeah, yeah. is going, that was a pretty good gig. And then the you, human side yeah. of me was going... Yeah, your brother-in-law's died and he's left four children <laughs> going. But and and then you have these people coming up to you and saying, uh, yeah. "A great eulogy," and uh, and you're kind of like, and you go, "Oh, this is," a, and and you think, "Oh yeah. man," and uh, you know the egotistical nature of the performer. The it's, last last time I did a poem, I think because I'd done so many, I had got quite good. And we talked about this before. I got quite good at pausing beforehand, taking a moment, and, and, I, and I'm actually more confident because um, the first time I did it, I was 16 at my grandfather's funeral. And so, you know, I've, I've practised, I've had a few gigs, I've done the circuit. And um, the last time I did it, yeah, people came up to me and said, oh, it was a, a wonderful reading, wonderful reading. Of course, we, we just found out what you do, you know. And I was like, what do you, you can't say, oh, thank you so much, you know, like, um, yeah, it's been really, been rehearsing a lot. You know, you just have to sort of awkwardly be like, it's not about me, but also, obviously, thank you, because it's nice to know I did a good job. <laughs> like, you don't want to dismiss the, well done, you did a good eulogy. But you d- I think you just have to kind of take it and then move away from it, don't you? That's the only way. Uh, one of my favourite, that's reminding me of Christopher Price, who was a wonderful uh, TV presenter, did a TV show called Liquid News. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I used to love doing, I used to love going on Liquid News with Christopher. It was so much fun. And um, Christopher sadly died over 10 years ago now. I remember his... Uh, memorial whatever you want to call it uh and everyone ended up in some bar in soho and some people actually use that occasion to uh give out flyers for gigs that they have coming up <laughs> and, and i thought christopher would have thoroughly enjoyed that in his own way they go oh this is wonderful what a, what a wonderful funeral anyway if you would like to come and see me again <laughs> oh and I thought that would, yeah that, that's the time we know we've definitely gone too far as you yeah. go i'm doing a poem but i've also got i've got a gig in a theater near here <laughs> so excuse me do you mind if i flyer after the service just, is I'll that okay the twitter handle that's all at the end it's not a big deal I'm oh not doing God. the poem in the show but if you'd like me to I could do the poem in the show I, I just... it's, it's up to the venue it's up to the venue so what did your mum die of obviously she survived a very long time that happened when you were mm. three well she had she I mean there were various uh, there was uh, she was asthmatic anyway and she had there, there was damage to her lungs wow. in the accident uh, and also there was a certain amount of, of brain damage things like that and just in the last few years she got she just kind of got weaker, and mm. um, and then she'd been she'd been in hospital quite a few times in the last years, and then uh, she came out, and we thought she was going to get better. And then there was that strange weekend where, fortunately, this all happened in, in uh, at my mum and dad's house, where you go, oh, things aren't going to get better. Mm. Things are getting much worse. And then I had this a very. It was a. I mean. All weekends are odd, and all weekends are odd, especially if you have someone like... It's that strange thing, isn't it, which is, in the show that I've just been doing, and originally I, I stopped doing it, because it just didn't fit in, but I'd, where I would, I'd had some stupid stories about things around when someone's dying, mm. or afterwards, because I think that we're not necessarily, as you 
been one of the reasons you do this, you know, which is people believe there is a specific way and they yeah. I think a lot of people worry that they're not treating things correctly. Yeah. And and so suddenly not only do they have the pain or the difficulty of dealing with someone's death, they also have this judgment of themselves that they've done done it wrong or they shouldn't be feeling this. Yeah. And so in the, in the final weekend, I had this like I went off and I did an event about counterculture at lunchtime in Northampton with 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 Alan Moore and various other people and then I was on a train to Folkestone and I had this gig to do. And I wasn't doing much gigging at the time. I'd taken a bit of break from, from gigging, but I had this gig. And then, and I kept suddenly just getting these little waves of going, oh, yeah, my mum's dying. So sitting on a train. And, I, and then I got to the gig, the, 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 the person at the venue, lovely venue in Folkestone, uh, collected me from the station. And I said, I'm just going to tell you, but I'm not going to tell anyone else, just because I might appear to be a little bit weird. And I don't want you to, you know, I've met you before. Yeah. Uh, uh, my mum's dying at the moment. And uh, so it, it just, just so, uh, so I don't, you don't have to say anything, but, and then I, I I remember before the gig going, should I be doing this? Should, is, am I meant to be doing this? I don't know. Uh, and then it's hard I, to know, yeah, because I think you feel like that. We a lot of guests talk about it, like going back to work or going back to school. It's like part of you is like, oh, is that bad that I sort of want to break from these thoughts? But I think it's just again, there's no right. It's just like if you got this work, you just do it. And if you can do it, maybe that maybe you're okay to do it. That's sort of how I would always mm. judge it. And if you can't, if you physically are like, oh, I'm just crying so much I can't speak. It's like, yeah, probably go home. But yeah. if you're sort of still able, I think as performers as well, we're very good at putting things into a box so we can perform because we have like what you do with nerves. You know, when you start and you're so terrified or someone important is in the audience and you have to go, I cannot think about that because I have to do my job. So when something massive happens in your life, you're really good at going, I cannot think about my mum being sick or dying. I have to do my job. And it's almost, I think performers are sometimes almost too good at it. And that's where the guilt comes from. Do you know what I mean? Like, that you yeah. think, oh, I was able to put that away quite easily. It's like, but you do that all the time when you perform. Because you think, oh God, this is shit. I've got to go and speak. Like, well, my, they might not laugh. They might not like me. Yeah, so I think... Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it, where you go... Because I remember when when I I got a phone call uh, just before my brother-in-law died because mm. we weren't expecting him to uh, die. Uh, and my dad rang and said, oh, uh, and I was about to go on at a gig in Manchester. Oh, wow. And uh, I remember going on and it was... I had a you know, great time. But I, I kept noticing. I thought, oh, this is... I'm doing some a little bit more kind of death stuff. There's yeah. something. Uh, and and then walking off stage and going, oh, yeah, this is a weird day. Mm. But you're right. The, the, there are moments where you go, this, this. So I remember Alexi Sale wrote about Bernard Manning when he died. <laughs> and he said he always found it weird that, that people would go, oh, Bernard would never not go on stage. He was, in fact, even the day his, his wife died, he still went and did the gig. And, oh, and Alexi kind of wrote and said that he thought that was kind of, actually sad it's not a noble thing but then again as you said what what are the ways of of managing it's the same as like yeah you know you can imagine someone especially if Bernard I'm not not supporting Bernard Manning's comedy but of his generation if someone going oh he was a milkman he got up his wife died he carried on did the round that Mm. like there's definitely I think it's changing there's definitely like you know you get on and you do it and I think it's oh again whatever you need to do that's why I say there shouldn't be guilt about it mm. if you need to do that gig and actually it helps you I've definitely had gigs where I thought because you know what I'm looking forward to not thinking for an hour I'm looking forward to p- 
putting all that crap about worrying about someone. Yeah, when my mother-in-law was dying that week, I think I had to record a, my radio pilot. And I remember saying to my husband, like, you know, should we move it? Should we, what should we do? And he was like, no, just do it. Like, what? She wouldn't want you not to do it and you need to do it. And it's like, it's okay to continue with life mm. as it's okay to continue life after they've gone as well. Like, it's okay because it's going to, it's going to continue around yeah. you. So your mum was sick and then you did this gig. Did you then sort of come back home? Yeah, there? it was like the, the, the gig I remember beforehand going, bloody hell. They better like me because I don't have. It's that yes, thing where you I go. Don't have it. I haven't got anything else, yeah. so I haven't. Unfortunately, I just walked out, and there was this great front row of elderly women <laughs> who obviously Radio Four listeners or whatever. And right from the start, they had so much kind of chutzpah, and they were just they were engaged in the beginning. And then the only weird bit, because I, I, like you were saying, you go into that other place mm. and, and you're doing all these bits. And then at the end of that particular show, I had um, I decided to show some footage of Richard Feynman, who was a oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobel Prize winning physicist, and he was also an expert bongo player. Yes, and... recommended to me by Ken Campbell. That's the only reason oh, I know Oh, of course, yeah. Ken once rang me up at nine o'clock in the morning. Carry it. You heard of Richard Feynman. You need to buy his <laughs> book. You need to get into his bongos. And he went, he went everywhere. Was, yeah, that's why I know him. There's this wonderful footage of Richard Feynman with his bongo playing friend. <laughs> and it would have been just before he went back into hospital for the last time. Wow. And he's just, he's doing this song on the bongos going, orange juice and like, need my <laughs> orange juice. And he's singing this song about orange juice, which also is very similar to Maurice Shearsmith in League of Gentlemen <laughs> when, when he comes in as Pam Doove oh and goes, got orange juice. <laughs> and uh, and it's just and the the chutzpah the energy of it and as I introduced the fact that here was someone whose lust for life was so great that look in the eyes of this man yeah. and this is a man who is very close to death but now with his bongos and that's when I went oh the adrenaline's going down because yeah, it's near the end of the yeah. show and I'm talking about death and I had this moment of like flick film starts pop behind the curtain briefly. Yeah. <sighs> End of bit. Hey, thanks very much for coming. I'll be upstairs signing books. Bye. And then... The it, usefulness of having a film in a stand-up show. <laughs> yeah, it really... Like, that's what I used to have with character comedy, the, the brilliant moment where you go downstairs and change costume and just be like, oh, I didn't mean to go there, but some weirdly I just said something really personal and upsetting. <laughs> like, I have to suddenly come back to being funny. Wow, so you had that moment, and then did you did your mum die very soon after that gig? Yeah, well, then there was a then the next night I I spent the next day day with her, and, and then uh, I went off to do a thing, and then the next night as well I was out. I was doing the Radio Four show I do called the Infinite Monkey Cage, and um, it was the Christmas special. Oh wow! And um, again, it, there wasn't a sense that things were. As imminent as they were. Yeah. So, so she, was, I, she was in hospital at this point? Or no, was she, she was, it was all at home, fortunately. So it was all at home, it okay, was, yeah. uh, And um, so I go into the... Like, it was one of those days where you just go, you open your computer and you go, that smells of burnt hair. Oh, it's burnt out. And that had all the notes on for the show. This is not <laughs> oh, going to be a good day. No. And then uh, one of the lovely people who works on the show, uh, Maria, uh, said, oh, I'll try and get it mended. I said, look, it doesn't matter. You know, one of those days where you yeah. go, there's a lot bigger things than this, yeah. but it's going to be a frustrating. And then I had so much to do that day. It was fine. It was like, 
Mm. One of my nieces would keep me up to date with what's going on. And I said to our, our producer, Sash, I went, oh, look, this, oh, God, it's really bad, I know. But, because oh, I know everyone's booked and Ross Noble's booked and everything. And, uh, but I, I, I might, if, if my mum gets much work. And she was like, of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah. But you, you know, the, the Englishness of it is, I, I, I know, I mean, everything's been booked. I, I can't and, have anyone down. down. And, yeah. it, you know, and, uh, You're expecting people to go, absolutely, we expect you to be here. Yeah, we'd be very angry if you just go, <laughs> just because your, 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 your mum's about to die. Um, and then about an hour before the show, and we'd also, Brian Cox and I, we were also recording a documentary about general relativity and I popped up to six music. So there was all the momentum. Yeah. And then an hour before the show, suddenly I went, oh, my stomach doesn't feel right. Oh. And suddenly I had like terrible diarrhea. It was like, <laughs> oh God, not this as well. <laughs> And, you know, my, my presumption from a oh very possibly God. pseudo-scientific perspective, but it might not be, I don't know, was that you end up in this situation where your body goes, well, you have a choice now. Yeah. You have to use a lot of your energy on your brain because you're about yeah. to have a conversation uh, about the nature of reality and uh, space-time. We can't be doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to keep your thoughts together or your bowels together? You know, it really felt like this this thing... And so I just popped. look, dude. There's you're, a lot of pressure on me right now. I either can be your brain, or I can deal with this. And I just, I'm sorry, I dropped it. Okay, I dropped all your shit. Yeah. I'm sorry. What do you want? Thoughts. What do you want? <laughs> exactly. So Thoughts or cohesion. <laughs> Thoughts or social acceptability and what's happening to your ass. <laughs> so yeah, wow. it was a very. Uh, and then I sat there and. And I told the audience beforehand as well, <laughs> uh, not about my mum. I, I, I said, just so you know, today's uh, recording is a bit of an experiment. We're going to find out if Emodium works for the whole recording time <laughs> of one of these shows. Brian Cox opened and closed a bottle of sherry with the cork, trying to create some kind of psychosomatic effect because that's the kind of the sense of humour that uh, physicists have. And then I just sat there and everything was... My brain was... I don't remember the recording. Wow. I do know that afterwards, it turned out my brain was fully operational in terms of improvising lines and, you know, busking with Ross Noble and asking, you know, the, the different people about physics. It was all working, but it was kind of going... It it, it it was in a superposition, whatever you want to call it. It was like, yeah. and every now and again, my brain would go, this is a really weird day. Yeah. This is a weird moment. But and that's when true muscle memory kicks in of like being, I think especially as being a performer who's gigged for a long time, I have this where you can, when things are emotional, you can gig and almost step to the side of yourself and go, wow, look at you going. No one would know what's going on. Mm. And then you come back in and you're like, ha ha, here's my joke, I'm doing this. It's, and I think, I mean, again, my terrible examples, it's like, you know, if you're a milkman, you must have days where you're feeling shit, but you still manage to get that milk on this. Yeah. Like you just, it's just what you do. So you've recording finished. And I, I went straight off. There was a cab waiting. Wow, yeah. Can go straight back. Cab driver was very worried because uh, he'd been warned that we might also have to suddenly pull over. So he's like, <laughs> oh my God, hang on a minute. Uh, and, but uh, Maria went, uh, but you have to get him back yeah, because yeah, his yeah. mum's very ill. And so every time I leaned forward to say something to the cab driver, he'd kind of lurch over to the side to the lay-by, like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It's happening. It's fine. Um, and, of course, everything was fine by then as well. It was one of those yeah, things where course, something along... Of course, yeah. But I remember as I walked off and no one on the panel knew what was going on mm-hmm. and Ross went, that was a great show and that was when the adrenaline had all dropped yeah. and I had that moment of kind of just going, yeah. you know, a burst of emotion yeah. and then run to the cab and get in the cab and then there was the last night 
Um, wow, then so kind then of she, fading so out. So you got back that got got back that night, and then then there was just a you know fading out the the, the fading out over the. Uh, God, uh, so Robin, you've just come from all these gigs and doing a map. You know that Infinite Monkey Age is a big show. That Christmas thing is a big show, and you get in that cab and. When you got home, did you think, did you sort of see, oh, we haven't got long? Or were you just kind of in the I, moment? I, I don't think we were expecting it to be the last night. But yeah, it, it's a very weird, you know, I remember it very clearly. But I think all the way through I thought, you know, is this the right sensation? Are these yeah. the right things to be thinking? What? How? Because part of the thing is there is nothing you can do. No. When someone's going, they're going. So the only thing you can do is is be there. Yeah. And just in case there's a moment of need, and and mm. as, as you know, sometimes it's a it's a fade, and it's a you know, and uh, so yeah, it was an odd, and I and I, I don't know if I've ever felt what I believe should be the correct reaction. But what like what is the correct yeah. reaction? I, I think also because you're a human as well, and so you will have moments where you're hungry and it's happening. You know what I mean? Mm. Or you're bored because you've just been sat there while you're, you're like your ass hurts because you've been sat on this <laughs> chair for ages. And those sort of boring human sensations next to, you know, your mother or your father dying, I really, I don't know how you can think anything you know, correct. You know what I mean? I think it just kind of come, weird things happen and come and go. And You almost feel like there should be this moment like you see in a film yeah. where you just run out into a <laughs> field and you, you drop to your knees and you throw your arms up in the air and you go, no! that there's something yeah. that and then as you said it's like, I have always loved that Victoria Wood line about the difference between kind of continental European uh, <laughs> funerals and uh, and I, I will I apologise for the fact that I'm going to misquote it but you know she talked about the fact that you know somewhere like Italy people go oh he's dead he's dead he's dead and in this country we go uh, 42 baps you slice our butter and it's you know and it was such a beautifully put together yeah. uh, I mean there's a lovely bit Richard Feynman one of my favourite there's a, there's a book, uh, a collection of, of, of his stories uh, called What Do You Care What Other People Think? And it's about his relationship with his first wife, Arlene. And uh, she died of what appears to be tuberculosis-related mm. uh, uh, disease. And the, the, the final page where he describes sitting with her and observing, thinking about why she's dying and what's mm. going on, at the same time as being emotionally involved but also being the scientist. And there's a little bit just after she's died where he says the nurse came in and confirmed that she was dead and, and then left me alone with her. And I went over to kiss her one last time and I smelt her hair. And I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised by the fact that it smelt exactly the same mm. because something enormous had happened and yet nothing had happened at all. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, that description That's of amazing. something enormous has happened and yet nothing has happened yeah. at all. Um and that, and that's and then he rather beautifully writes about the fact that he was working in Los Alamos on 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 the atom bomb at that point and he said he went back and he just tried you know he said to you know he didn't want people you know constantly asking him about it so he just got on with his work and he said it, and he has this beautiful bit where he talks about that she started to appear in his dreams wow. and he would say you can't be in my dream you're not alive anymore and then <laughs> and then she comes back into the dream again and uh, and and he says I've told you you can't be in my dream and she went oh I fooled you I was bored of you so I cooked up this ruse but I like you again now so I've come back <laughs> and then he said it didn't hit me he said it was about a month later he was walking down the high street 
and uh, he saw a dress in the window and he thought, Aline would like that. He says, and then it hit me. And I think that's a very common thing for a lot of people in this day and age in particular, which is one of the little odd bits is you're wandering around maybe on holiday Mm. and you remember that you always bought your mum a packet of fudge or something like that. And uh, you went and, and you go, oh, we don't need to go in the fudge shop. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's uh, and it's those little things, isn't it? Oh, she'd like that book. Oh, oh no, we don't. That book yeah. doesn't need to be bought now. I know. My husband said about his mum that when we'd go away, you know, we'd, he'd always find this postcard. and he'd all, Yeah, we'd always send this postcard. And he'd always find a little thing. And I remember we, we went somewhere and he just said, I just don't have to get a postcard. And it made him so sad because it's those small little things. With my dad, it was very opposite because I remember being in the car with my mum. My dad was, <laughs> not to be fair, unfair to my mum. My mum's a very intelligent woman, but in a very different way. My my dad was a bit encyclopedia-y. And so I remember thinking something like, oh, why does the sun, oh, I'll ask dad. And then going, oh, God. And this was before the internet, so I couldn't Google it. <laughs> I remember just sitting there thinking, oh, that's so who am I going to ask? You know, those things that, yeah, you just go... Oh, they'll do that. Oh, they'll do that. I'll think that. It's, and I think you just, you still think them. I don't think mm. they go away. You just get used to going, your brain, I think, is a bit quicker going, like, like you're an old person. Remember, they're gone. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So she, did she die that night or? Uh, the next, it was, it was uh, about, it would have been early evening the next, early, the next wow. day, yeah. And were you, was, was it you and your sisters? Was everyone there? Yeah, or? pretty much everyone was. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, it was, it was, it was good like that. And it was, and there's, I've got uh, four nieces in the UK as well, and they were all around and stuff like that. And wow. uh, so yeah, it was. Uh, I think in in a certain way, it was as good as it can be, which is to not be in a yeah. hospital. I think is quite a, yeah. a, a, a a major thing. And then you have that, you know, the fascinating thing about the. The passage of time. You know that mm. bit where you go, can't have only been three days ago. Oh, God, yeah, that's m- mental, isn't it? You're like, how, what, a week? No, that's not fair. It's been 700 years since this happened, or it's been five minutes. Yeah, you're, well, it's like you were saying earlier, time doesn't exist anyway, but it really, when someone's died, it's like, sorry, I should create, you didn't just say time doesn't exist. That was somebody who knows nothing about physics. No, I did. Outside here, when we were talking about but whether we were late or early, yeah. I've, I have been reading a lot on the Block Universe recently and yeah. it's really confounded me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there is, you know, time may well be, I think it's the striatum in our brain that creates the illusion of, yeah. of time. Time is an illusion. What is it? L- time is an illusion, lunchtime doubly so, isn't that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you were there with her... Did you, was she particularly? Did you feel like you said goodbye, or was it she just kind of very sort of I, I, with it? Do you know what? I I don't feel there was any great unfinished. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that when someone fades out over time, yeah, and it was quite a long time. Uh, I had a very there was a lovely thing that I was very fortunate where um, the last thing that I remember, uh, apart from Rising Damp, the sitcom Rising Damp. Oh, we had a lot of fun watching that. That <laughs> was, you know, that bit. Sometimes you you're watching a sitcom with people who are older than you and you start to go, oh, I think they're joint team. I'm worried. I'm actually worried about the health. <laughs> but we, we watched the beautiful film The Dresser with Tom Courtney and Yay, Albert Finney. Yeah. And uh, which is a, a wonderful, but we watched that together, and it was really, uh, it was, it, it was. This was a long, you know, a couple of months before, and she probably hadn't gone to hospital then. But it was one of those, you know, occasions. And I, I ended up doing uh, the, like the Critics Circle Film Awards or, or something, presenting that. And Tom Courtney won. Uh, 
uh, uh, the Best Actor Prize for the fantastic film 45 Years with Charlotte Rampling as well. And Tom Cruise, you know when you meet people and you go, oh, you're you're as human as I'd hoped. I saw yeah. Margaret Atwood wandering around the Hay Festival last week and I kept going, oh, you beam humanity. You're <laughs> packed with humanity. And um, yeah, and, and afterwards I got chatting to Tom Courtney and it, it gave me a chance to say, and, I, and I, it was it was very soon after. It was only a, a few weeks after my mum had died, wow. and I, I when they asked me to do it, it was a last minute thing, and uh, and I said I can do it, but I was going to see my dad that day, so you have to give him a seat as well. Yeah, of course. And uh, then there was this, uh, and going up to Tom Courtney and just uh, afterwards and saying, oh, you know, my mum died a few weeks ago, and and one of our, our last thing we really watched together properly, the last film was The Dresser, and he was just he was exactly as you'd hope Tom oh. Courtney would be, and he was there was a lovely bit when I was chatting. So I had my duffel coat on then, not just because And we talked for about five minutes. Then he went, oh, I've just realised who you are. Oh, God, you're the one who's presented the show. And I, oh, dear, I feel that's such a... Fun. But it was just like this really sweet man. And, the, and again, just the, the humanity was there. That's amazing. I think it's funny, isn't it, that even when you're a performer, and a successful performer, the people who, yeah, have those... Like, the, you still become the, the child when you meet those people because they have somehow had a connection with your family. Mm. And I've had that with my dad, anything that my dad liked. I've talked about before that he was into this band, Quintessence, that I've never been able to get hold of. But then an amazing listener sent me a CD of some of their tracks, which I hadn't heard because I had a tape of his, which I'd... Ru- oh, well, it didn't ruin it, it just melted away. That's what happened to kids. Things used to just melt away. And um, it meant so much. You know, if I ever met someone who was in Quintessence, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> I'd be I'd be so overawed. So Tom Courtney becomes this figure for you because he was there with you and your mum when you had that moment. That's so... Yeah, it was really nice yeah. to... Uh, I mean, I, I've never lost that. I, I, I think that bit of not being scared of going up to people because I think you know again there's a kind of British cynicism that we're very good at accidentally saying something snippy at people and I the older I've got the more I thought however much of a dick I look like when I meet people or I work with people whose work I love then I will say oh man I you know it's so great to be working with you because this is I really you know love your and and I'm lucky with with my friend Josie you know we we, we do a podcast about books and and very often we we, you know we, we get to sit with people who's whose writing is so beautiful and has had an effect and you and you think well don't hold back don't no, suddenly become yeah. the cold so when you first decided to write this book <laughs> you know don't you don't have to do that you can you know I, I think there's nothing wrong with it I know some people find effusiveness dickish but uh I think it's a real waste well, you know I, when I was watching yeah. Nick Cave last night we were talking oh, about this like we love you know, Nick Cave Nick Cave god I love Nick Cave oh man the humanity he's yeah the humanity of that man and what obviously especially talking in terms of grief what he's mm. been through and what he's turned into his art like yeah I well I have that thing because my dad died when I was so young I always have this thing of like life's too short to be cool about stuff mm-hmm. like I just feel like when people are like oh yeah I'm going to say something snippy or cool or act like I don't care I'm like you could die any minute say tell them you think it's yeah. great like they might die like it's just yeah god I think it's too short it's definitely too short so at did, um for her funeral, did you do her eulogy? Yeah. Now, there was a weird thing here, which is... Uh, I feel bad about this, by the way, because for a short time, I talked about some of these things in stand-up, and I hate that sense that I'm going through a routine, but it is just a genuine story. Oh, so no, I don't know. Right. So yeah, I hope yeah. you don't no, mind no. me, because it was such an odd thing, which is... Um, and also, by the way, this is going to sound like a weird, morbid, humble brag, but I'm going to tell you, because this is, so, this is, <laughs> this this is, is one of the problems that I, I had with, in the brief period of time that I, I, I talked about it on, on stage. Was So, 
uh, the eulogy, I kind of got loads of... I mean, I found... This was an interesting thing. We, we found a bunch of letters that my mum had sent when she was... Uh, her and my dad, like, were driving through parts of Africa on these roads where, like, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, the road, you were allowed to go one way and, the, you know, all of this stuff. <laughs> really, oh you know, dry... And, and reading when she was 20 years old. Yeah. The reference... And you, I saw a totally different woman to the, the mother that I knew. Wow. So found these letters and she had a Muffin the Mule uh, <laughs> puppet that she'd had when she was about five years old. So all the strings are gone, but the basic chipped metal was left. And and her copy of The Little Prince, which is a book that I love. Yeah, and she she had it when it must when it first came out, when she was wow. six years old. And uh, where she'd scribbled over the snake in pencil there <laughs> once it had uh, eaten something. And so I read a little bit of that. And... Uh, and I remember, you know, that, that that bit beforehand where you go, the one thing is I will not cry. I will not, because you really, and I know it doesn't matter. And it's such an odd thing, isn't it, to be be worried about those things. But what made the day particularly odd anyway was originally I was meant to be in Ireland doing an event. And uh, so I cancelled that. And because I was going to be in Ireland, the, the uh, Monkey Cage was up for an award, uh, for a Rose Door Award. And I wasn't going to be able to go to the event in London because I was in Ireland. And then on the day of the funeral, it might be the day before, my dad went, I've just realised you, you can go to the award ceremony. I went, oh, no, 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 it's, you know... He went, no, 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 it's after the funeral, you can go. And I might be wrong, but I think he quite wanted me to. Yeah. I got the sense that it was like, so... So it was in the evening, the funeral was during the day, so we, you know, did all the things. I remember walking. I walked round the, the, the little woods where sometimes I build dens with my son. We walked round and round and round. I, I walked on the woods around, looking at all the trips that I thought might possibly make me well up in any way. So, mm. like, I was going to read at the end, there's that beautiful bit in uh, The Little Prince that when the little prince is dying and he gives a gift to the pilot. I don't know oh, how well yeah, you know the story. And he, he, he talks about yet. the fact that the star that he lives on with the sky, the sky is so, so the sky has so many stars up there that he's not able to point exactly where his little asteroid is. Mm. But what he can say is that when he goes back to his asteroid, which has a little rose on it, which he's very worried because the rose only has one thorn to protect itself, but he's going to go back there. He said, the thing you need to know, he says that I'm, I'm going to be laughing. And so that when you look at the night sky, you, only you, will have a sky that is laughing oh. and it's a very beautiful bit and it reminded me also of Carl Sagan talking about the fact that we're all star stuff yeah. and I think you know sometimes when it's something that I found that when, when my son first got worried about mortality mm. that bit where as someone who doesn't believe personally in, in, in an afterlife of, yeah. of our consciousness going anywhere else I could say to him, no one knows what happens after you die, but we do know that all your atoms are going to go off and be other things. And uh, so I walked round around the woods and, 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 then, and then, then you know, did the, the, the eulogy and, uh, and the church was very nice. They let my dad bring... Uh, uh, my sister has a, a, a Labrador and so many had a dog next to him. And so oh, things like that, you yeah, know, would give yeah. a bit of um, solace. And... Um, and then after the egg mayonnaise sandwiches and everything, <laughs> I went off to the British Museum and, and went to this award ceremony. I was wow. like, is this... And my, th my theory was, it's probably the most stupid thing to do. <laughs> so it, perhaps the right thing yeah, to do is to yeah. do something insane and to go to an award ceremony on mm -hmm. the... And so then, of course, you become almost like this odd show-off, a strange kind <laughs> of morbid show-off. And, hello, Robin, how are you? I'm all right. It's just been my mum's funeral today. Yeah. I just did the eulogy and now I'm here. Hello, hello. And I had this bit where, uh, like, 
Stephen Fry came up to me because he'd been on Monkage a couple of times and and, and went, oh, hello, Robin, how are you? Yeah, and, I, and I said, oh, I'm all right. Yeah, I've just done the UG at my mum's funeral. You could see him thinking, I don't know really how to do conversation <laughs> this. And, um, and then there was, a, so unfortunately, there were, uh, people like, in, in fact, I've mentioned him a couple of times before, but, but uh, um, C. Pemberton and Reece Shearsmith mm. were there because they were up for Inside Number 9. They're very lovely people. In fact, Jeremy Dyson was there as well for um, another show. And there were just enough people because I'm not very, I don't normally go to those things. Yeah. Um, and then I sat there and we didn't win the first the, the, the first award we were up for we didn't win and I remember turning to our producer Sasha going oh now it feels mad yeah because yeah, part yeah. of the sensation was that I would go there and it would have been the kind of thing that my mum would have loved yeah. you know guess what mum I went to an award ceremony I got to oh I'll tell all my friends that um, and then we got this then we did win the, 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 the other other prize and I was so manic by then I'd been yeah. drinking and everything it's just a lot your body's just there's a lot to process and deal with. And I think it's fine to go. But I th- I know exactly what you mean. That I think sometimes the saying it out loud is almost like you saying it to yourself. like Because you're still mm-hmm. processing it. So when you tell people, it's my mum's funeral today, I did the eulogy. You're, Robin is telling Robin. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what's happened. That's what's happened. Because your brain is still trying to process. Yeah. I remember I had um. <laughs> I had an outfit that I wore to my dad's funeral <laughs> and I wore it. I went on holiday with my girls in the summer, like a couple of months after my dad died, after my GCSEs. And I remember someone saying, oh, you look nice. And I went, I wore this to my dad's funeral. <laughs> and all these poor teenage girls being like, oh, OK, let's go and get pissed. And I remember thinking I had to almost say it out loud to kind of to tell myself, like, yeah. it's, it's OK. I'm just maybe it just has to be said because it happened. Maybe that's it. Your brain just needs to be like this is what happened to you today. Yeah. So you won, though. I think that's the hardest thing, isn't it? And I know, I'm sure you've talked about this before. Um, for a lot of people, uh, when they've had a loss, is that after a couple of weeks, you're just someone again. Yeah. So the first yeah. two weeks, and I remember thinking that, I, I used to talk a little bit about the fact that when when my brother-in-law died, and I had you know, four nieces who were all teenagers, the first few days after he died, the house was like a party. Oh, God, because yeah. everyone was coming, and they're yeah. all bringing kind of, you know, casseroles and whatever, mm. and music, and everything is... And there's music blaring out because... Yeah. Life was life. And then the postman came one day, and he, he kept delivering things and parcels and all manner of stuff. And he went... He, one of my, my younger nieces went to the door, and he went, oh, are you still having a party? It's amazing. Wow, he was... Oh, Oh, you know what's happened and she just went my dad's died and she said it in a way where she knew yeah. it was kind of funny because he would go oh and you know came back in kind of quite proud because it had given yeah you know it's it's i did that it, all yeah. the time <laughs> i was so guilty that it gives you some power back i feel like it's like well i get to say when it, i get to tell you i get to shock you but i think in a funny way i was so shocked so i was kind of like ha look how shocked you are that's how I feel. <laughs> but somehow it gave me a control over it. I don't know. I'm psychoanalyzing myself. But I would, yeah, we talked about this like when they'd ring. Oh, can I speak to Mr. Lloyd, please? Oh, sorry. No, you can't. Oh, we, we'd really like to speak. Yeah, he's dead. And just the silence on the end of the phone. And I'd feel like, yeah, what a great day. <laughs> I, mm. I got him. Something, something, somehow I'm back in control of it. That's another important thing, I think, to help with grieving. Be there for those first two weeks. Oh my god! Of course, but be there in six months. Be there in a year because yeah, that's when all the flowers have gone and they're dead, and the cards have been put away. And you do, like you said, you're not, you're not. It's not that you're not special, but like no one, no. It feels like no one cares, but it's yeah. not that no one cares. They just have their life has, you know, 
taken over and they've forgotten but it doesn't mean they don't care so you have these two weeks of feeling like you said a bit like a megastar because it's a bit weird isn't it? like all that attention on you the same amount of attention you probably get on a birthday really like if you're a kid especially mm. so it's like when that ends it's really hard it's really hard oh i have to say about that that award thing the bit that I couldn't help myself talking about the bit, you know, the, where when I got there and I made a couple of jokes about things that happened that evening and then I looked at the audience and I went, uh, anyway, thank you very much. And uh, this is uh, my second public speaking engagement today. <laughs> the first was my mum's funeral. And I did that and I have to admit, that was showing off. That was <laughs> that bit of going, I wonder how the audience will... Yeah. You know, and, it, and it wasn't in my head until I stood there and then mm. I thought, this will be watching a bunch of media people going, I'm not sure how we're meant to react yeah, now. Yeah. Um, and then you're a performer and our job is to create a reaction in the crowd. So it's I think terrible. Does that make us shallow or what does it do? Know. I don't know what it does. I don't, it's just, is it, it's, it's just, just everyone's, it's everyone's got a different coping mechanism, yeah, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. It's different coping and it's like, well, it's like with great power comes great responsibility, isn't it? Like, so <laughs> you'd have that skill. You know how to shock and you know how to laugh, make people laugh. And I think when you're in that weird emotional limbo of like, you know, your mum's just died, done the funeral, everything, there's no time for you right now and nothing... Nothing is stable. Nothing makes sense. So yeah, you've caught. I can completely understand saying that to that crowd because for a moment you're sort of, I guess you're sort of in the void at that moment. Mm. You're like, I'm not in normal human place. I don't have to do the same rules. And comedians fucking love not having to do the yeah. rules. So I think, of course, you're in front of that crowd. You're like, yeah, guess what? I'm going to break the rules. And my mum just died. So you can't really tell me off. <laughs> like, I don't think. Again, I just don't. I just don't know. If there should be a judgment to it. No. It's just what you did. Like, because that's, like you said, how you coped at that point. Um, so your dad is still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And how have you found sort of now having a parent by themselves? Has he coped with it? Okay. I mean, are you... well, we're, we're, I mean, I mean, the fortunate thing is there's, there's loads of us nearby. That's good. Yeah. So uh, that's the, 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 the one thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, one of the, the, one of the hardest things for people when they get older is that just that bit of also purpose and all yeah. of those things. And uh, my mum was quite a lot younger as well. Oh, wow. But not as well, not yeah, not, yeah. not as healthy. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just those kind of things where you just have to try and pay attention, don't you, as much as you yeah. can. And then every now and again go, oh, I haven't been around enough. And uh, it's. I always wonder whether there is, you know, you know sometimes when you worry if you're a psychopath <laughs> and then you realise that because you worry you're a psychopath, you may well you not be a psychopath. Right, yeah. But again, that bit where I think so much of... of, of what some of us do is you can detach yourself and observe it. Mm, yeah. And you, you, so you are a constant, and that might, that I think you also hone that as you, you know, yeah. as a, as a performer or creating anything is you are very often in a situation, but you're also observing the situation yeah. at the same time. So I think, you know, always kind of pay attention to that as well. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you're known, as you said, for being an atheist. <laughs> and how did you, I just wondering as an atheist watching someone die, like did, did how did yeah how was that you know because you, you're not dealing in terms of soul or what do you feel about that um i don't know if it may, i mean I, it, it's in one way it's quite a minor part of my existence but right, i suppose yeah. it's i only consider it a minor part of existence because perhaps for people who are dogmatically religious it's a major part but yeah, for me yeah. it's like i didn't have any thoughts of I, i'm one of those people who didn't um come to atheism through having any depth 
or scientific <laughs> knowledge or whatever. It just is kind of thing that I st- and and I and I do find that the the narrative of the fact that all of these atoms mm. gone and they're not ours anymore and they're not you know that they're they're ours now and then they're not. So in in one way it's a it's a false story. Mm. Except I find it quite a beautiful story that there is a big bang and then eventually the universe cools enough that it forms atoms and then from that point onwards it appear you know the the probability of there being at least one planet where there's people like you and me who are aware of ourselves um, and that it just keeps going until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> I, I kind of for some reason I mean I've, I, it's I've, still a narrative. That's what yeah. I find interesting. It's still a narrative, like you said, because you have to when your son asks you still. You still, we still want comfort, don't yeah. we, as humans? You, it's not. I think sometimes people think with atheism, oh well, there's nothing. Well, how depressing! What you say, you just go in the ground and rot. And you're like, no, it's not just that, is it? There's still a story that is a comfort to a mm. human being that these atoms are going somewhere. But I find it interesting that humans, we still need that comfort. I think you can't. But also, it's not comfort. To, it's it's just truth. It's a, isn't it? it's a story, isn't it? As you said, it is the. Uh, there was a lovely bit. I was when I was at Hay last week. There's great questions from kids. Oh, uh, like right. like in, in in the book queue, there was a uh, a girl came up to me and she about 10, 11 years old maybe, and she said, "How do I know that I'm not merely being dreamt by someone else?" Which was brilliant. <gasps> Whoa, and then because then that made me work hard to yeah. go. Well, let's try and see <laughs> if we can pick the spot. But then there was this girl when I was actually doing the event. She she did look. She looked for a ten year old as if there was a lot of existential anxiety there I said what's the point in doing science if we're just all insignificant and just this <laughs> insignificant universe it's a good question um, and I think um, I hope I gave her enough but part of it is I think one of the beautiful things is that by having a universe that has no grand meaning every single one of us has to have has to work out our own meaning so you know if you're too dogmatic uh, or too tribal mm. then you have to believe there is a correct meaning yeah. And what if you live your life and you don't find that correct meaning? If you are given the freedom to go, right, what do I want to try and do? Um, what do I think is the best thing to do? And I think that... Because it was interesting for my mum because she, like you, she she lost her dad quite young. Oh, wow. And uh, so I didn't... I, I was fortunate in terms of grieving that I, I had no granddads when I was born. They were they were long gone already. So that, that was part of the <laughs> yeah. grieving process out of the way. And um, But she... I think that's one of the things that strengthened her belief in an afterlife mm. and I remember having an argument once with an atheist friend of mine I said I, I have I don't care about lying about things like I mean I, I did to my son it was different to my son but if someone was ill or if someone was about to lose someone yeah, sure. I do not have a problem saying lying and saying well you never know there might be or yeah. with my mum if she'd been I, I, I would have happily Comforted her there, yeah. Because I can. Because yeah. I don't have a deity that's instructing me. <laughs> I, I'm not sinning. Cheeky unless, atheist with yeah. no rules, as usual, just like the comedian. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, you know, the, the the Church of Hitchens may damn me on <laughs> on Facebook or Twitter, yeah. but I I don't. I I think that's part of the, again that thing that allows you to white lie in, in mm. some of these situations. Yeah, and, that's true. And, and with my son though, I I did think it was important to tell him that I didn't you know, that no one knows. That yeah. was the thing that no one knows. So if anyone tells you this is the truth of what happens afterwards, they don't know. Yeah. No one knows. But we do know. There was a lovely bit where when I was explaining about the uh, fact that 
all of his atoms might end up in, you know, stars mm. and whatever. And one day did go, can I just check, is it only going to be my atoms in that star? Or will there be <laughs> other people's? You know, and there's... Because uh, I want my, I want a bit of my, just as my own space, I can put some things up. And, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't want, because I don't get on with Paul. And what if his <laughs> atoms are all mixed up in my great big eventual supernova? What did you tell him? You'll get your own stuff. That was where that's where I lied. You lied. Yeah. There's a point where you're allowed to lie in those situations. There's definitely a point with a child where you're like, Yeah, you get your own stuff. Why not? Why not believe you get your own stuff? That's comforting. You can then research it years to come and find out it might not be necessarily true and come back and argue with you about it. Yeah, exactly. So your mum was religious in that way. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my family, are, I mean, I come from, before my dad, there's like, our family tree is quite easy to actually uh, put together because there's a lot of vicars in, in, in my oh, family. Oh, wow. Uh, though they were gone by the time I was around, but it yeah. does, you know, the, the house has lots of weird Bibles in there from yeah. all, all different places. So so I, I don't know, but I don't really know about my sisters, but... Uh, I'm certainly the, the yeah the most definite one in terms of just going. Oh, I don't I don't think there is any. It, yeah. it, it, it's I you know it doesn't make, it wouldn't fulfil me to believe in in that. Yeah. But I have a lot of friends who are quite religious and and uh, and I love talking to you know I, uh, there's there's uh, a, a some of my of best my, friends are religious. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a friend of mine, Nick, who is uh, he's actually a bishop and he's. Um, uh, and he's great, and he's—I find it really interesting having a few drinks with him late at night and talking about, you know, science gives the how, yeah. but something like religion gives the why. And I, I kind of wonder if, if that. Yeah, sometimes with religious, again, it's that easy. It's just don't don't make sweeping generalizations because you'd be like, oh, all atheists are bleak and all religious people hate science. It's like there were, as we know, there was a time when those two things were intrinsically linked, and they're both looking for answers. And I think that's the nicest thing possible is to just accept someone else's point of view. That's what yeah. I. That's the only time I get annoyed when anyone's dogmatic, whether it's an atheist saying you're an idiot for believing anything and if you're friends with people. I've got a friend who's militantly atheist who thinks all Christians are idiots. And you'll say that. And I think, oh, I just don't think that's fair. <laughs> like You just can't make that sweeping statement. I think everybody, again, it's like we said. I know Christians who can speak Russian. I can't. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, uh, well, it takes a different level of intelligence. And I don't just mean Russian Christians, by the way. I mean, it's a second <laughs> language. But it's, you know, there's that. Yeah, that, and I think that's a very interesting thing in terms of uh, some beliefs about people with beliefs. Mm, and yeah, obviously yeah. it is that I know some people who think that, uh, oh, yeah, well, of course, because uh, they just want an afterlife. And yet, a lot of, of religious people I know, there's no, they don't, it's no clouds and harps no, scenario. No. They don't think you kind of drop dead and then suddenly you float <laughs> up there and meet Warren Beatty, you know. I, I, and so I think there's... Uh, Welcome it, to the it, Heaven Hilton. What yeah. one did you book in? Well, oh. one of my favourite films is Matter of Life and Death. Oh, Paolo yes, Pressburger. yes, of uh, course, oh, yeah, yeah. Because that has a beautiful, the, the image of heaven as, as yeah. uh, where it really is like a kind of, uh, you know, all of these pilots going up this enormous escalator because yeah. it's, it's during the Second World War. And, uh, oh, there's a bit, David Niven at the beginning is so, David Niven and Kim Hunter, who went on to perhaps be most famous playing the uh, uh, lead female uh, ape in the Planet of the Apes. Yes, yeah. And um, there's this beautiful bit, and there, there she is, um, she's talking to the pilot, and it's David Niven, and... Uh, uh, isn't is there no hope? No, parachute's gone. I'm afraid, June. Yes, ah, uh, <laughs> June. I love you, June, because you're life, and I'm leaving it. And it's a really 
beautiful (laughs) film about love and we don't know you know it may well be that the heaven in that film is only a a dream Mm. of of David Nivens but it's about the battle for him to be allowed to remain alive because uh, Marius Goring is a uh, a French aristocrat who it was his job to pick up uh, David Niven and take him to heaven but it was a very foggy night and because (laughs) it was a very foggy night he didn't manage to get him and he's kind of being told off you have to lure him to heaven because the yeah. books don't balance. It's God. a great, sorry, just a... No, yeah. no, and I think there's some amazing, especially from that time period, there's some amazing films because death was in their face. Mm. So it's like you were saying about your stand-up, when it was in your face, it leaked out. And when you look at the films from that time, it's leaking out everywhere because death's so, so present. But mm. I just think, like I said, I mean, we're both writers and it, as many people I speak to on the show, it just comes back to storytelling and narrative and what... how much that can give comfort and that's from the bible to atoms like it's just whatever works dude that's how I feel if it works that works for you so your son was satisfied with that he's getting his yeah I think at that time yeah Yeah, who knows now who knows that what was your mum's name Uh, her name was Pam Pam. Pamela born just before she may well have been what caused the second world war she was (laughs) I I, I can't remember if she was born on the day that the second world war broke out but around around that time oh wow well Robin thank you so much for coming to talk to me about Pamela thank you You can follow Robin on Twitter at Robin Ince and he's on tour at the moment then heading up to the Edinburgh Fringe with two new shows so head to robinince.com for more details of where you can see him. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast and you can email us thegriefcast at gmail.com. Music was provided by The Glue Ensemble and the show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And remember, you are not alone. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 